Um, today's scripture comes from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. And this Trinity Church is God's word. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I want to I talk to you um, pretty briefly today. I don't think there's ever a man that minded if there was a briefer sermon on, on Father's Day. But um, in, in, your, in these bulletins I gave you, there's a place inside to take notes if uh, you want to track with, with the message today and uh, perhaps remember what the, what the Lord is, is saying to us through his word. So we're in this series on the book of Haggai, and it's a very simple scenario. There's a lot riding on it, but it's a really brief book of the Bible. It's a few pages, and it all revolves around them rebuilding the temple. God chose Israel to be his people and said, through you, I would like to bless the entire world. I would like to make you an example of what I want to do for a people who are fully devoted to me. And they were people like we are people. They had a hard time being fully devoted to God. So much so that the nation was conquered. God removed his blessing in a sense. They were conquered, shipped out. And the book of Haggai, I just want to remind you this morning, is about a season of time where 50,000 people had been allowed to come back to the destroyed city of Jerusalem, and God gave them a task. First things first, I want you to rebuild the temple. I want you to rebuild the temple. And so we said last week it had been about 15 years, and they had essentially poured a slab and done nothing else. There were some reasons for that. We'll get, we got into those last week, so we won't today. But essentially at this point, they're doing the building, and things just aren't looking like they hoped it would look whenever they started to obey God. Has that ever been the experience for anybody in the room? Has anyone ever began being obedient and thought to yourself, I thought this would look a little better a little sooner? Like, I I thought that this would have a sense of, of payoff. And one of the things that they were wrestling with, of course, was the fact that the old temple, the first temple, Solomon's temple, had essentially been one giant jewel. All the jewels in all the land at every store you have ever bought an engagement ring from, um, could not have outshone this temple. And so now they're looking at something they're building, and they're like, this is going to be okay, but it's not going to be what it should have been. And people were in, were in tears over it. And so God begins to say something to them to encourage their hearts in the process of, of building. And if you notice, five times in these four verses that Sasha read this morning uh, is the phrase, the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies. Have any of you ever noticed that in most modern superhero movies, the, uh, the bad guy is the biggest guy, and it takes just a whole lot of work from the, from the superhero good guys to overcome the big bad one? 
And sometimes in our experience, we can feel a little outmatched. I mean, Jerusalem is surrounded by hostile civilizations that don't want to see them succeed. And so these little 50,000 person remnant, they are outnumbered, they are out-resourced. No one wants to see it go well for them. And yet God is reminding them, hey, I'm the Lord of armies here. I've got all of heaven's resources I I can throw opposing armies into confusion at the drop of a hat. It may look like you don't have what you need to get where I'm calling you to go, but you do because I have the resources. I am the Lord of what? Of armies. And in that, he's saying the silver, the gold, the things that will make this place shine, what you want to see, he says, "That that all belongs to me. And in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And when I want to bring it, I will bring it. But number one in your outline this morning says this, when it comes to living for God, obedience is up to us, but outcomes are up to God. Obedience is up to us. Whenever God calls us to something, the only valid response is, yes, God. Yes, God. And moving in obedience. But whenever, have you ever been called to something and you feel like you have a picture of how it's supposed to look, and it's not just you being sort of self-aggrandizing, I want to live like my very best life, be my very best self, and that will always look like me looking, and, but you really feel like God is calling me to something, it's supposed to go this direction, but I have no idea how to get there. I don't have what it takes to get there. You may as well be asking me to plant a garden of flowers in Death Valley for all of the resources I feel like I have to actually get here. Have any of you ever been to Death Valley before? We had the great misfortune of driving through there a few years ago. As you're driving through, there are signs on the side of the road telling you what to do in the event, very, very possible, that your car overheats and you get stranded. It's the hottest place on earth. The hottest physical temperature ever recorded was, I believe, 134 degrees. Back in 1913 in Death Valley, any place where they say extreme heat danger, if you walk after 10 in the morning, that place is hot, isn't it? Not much grows there, a few scrub, scrub bushes, but every once in a while, like in 2005, something incredible happened. You know, Death Valley averages one to two inches of rain a year. There was one 40-month period where Death Valley got half an inch of rain. And yet, in the winter of 2004, an amazing outpouring of rain, like five inches, happened in Death Valley. And whenever spring came, this happened. Death Valley was carpeted in flowers. It was beautiful. And what it turned out was that seeds had been there the whole time. And there was, there was one particular man named Sir Kenneth Robinson, a British author. British, they would call themselves Sir. I am Sir Kenneth Robinson. But he was speaking on this phenomenon, and he said, you know, accurately, we shouldn't really call it Death Valley. We should call it Dormant Valley. Because it's just waiting on resources from the outside to come in. And it can, it can bloom. A lot of times, obedience is like that. We can do what we can do. We can see what we can see. But ultimately, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord sends the rain, 
stuff isn't gonna grow and isn't gonna take off. And God is saying right here, as far as this physical temple goes, hey, the silver and gold belong to me. In a little while, I will bring it. I can bring it whenever I want. And about five decades later, from the time that this book of Haggai is being written, um, King Artaxerxes, this, you'll see this if you turn your Bibles to the book of Ezra chapter 7 and start reading. I'm not going to read from it, I'll just give you a little synopsis. But um, Ezra, like Nehemiah before him, finds a lot of favor with the king, and King Artaxerxes says, you know what, I want to send you back, and I'm going to send you with a boatload of gold and silver. And that king begins like telling surrounding nations, I want you to pay tribute, and we're going to build the house of Ezra's lord in Jerusalem. And so a lot of gold did, in fact, come. And by the time of Jesus, um, under Herod the Great, who was no friend of believers, but he was an incredible architect, this second temple, I don't know how it compared to Solomon's temple, but it really, it was something to behold. God had shaken the heavens and the earth, and um, he had provided what he said he was going to provide. You know, over the last um, two and a half years, just to take a physical illustration, you know, we've done a lot on this building. We're not done, but we've done a lot, made a lot of progress. Back in November, we kind of painted a picture of what we wanted to do for our youth upstairs. Jesse, I believe you have a picture of this. If uh, you remember kind of what the upstairs looked like, um, well... It was bad. It looked like a scene from a horror movie, quite frankly. And um, whenever you walked up there, I saw a couple of good godly women reduced to tears, just kind of looking around at it. And we put it in our hearts, we believe God put it in our hearts to do something for our kids, give them a place to worship and to be discipled. We're about done with that. In July, we're going to have a Sunday and we'll announce the exact date soon. We're trying to get it furnished as well as finished. And so if we can get that done, in July, we're going to have a day with food trucks. We're going to celebrate what the Lord has done, and we're just going to kind of have an open house up there and show you, you know, what the Lord has enabled us to do because of what we have all given to. It's going to be worth celebrating. One of the things that we talked about when we started this process is we asked this question, why in the world should I care? if I'm not connected to any of these kids? Well, look at them. How could you not care, right? <laughs> no, I mean, how, how can I not care, you know, looking at, looking at Andrew and Alex, and Joshua and Ethan and Leah and Hannah and, you know, all of these incredible kids. Like, how could, how could we not care about, um, about Emily meeting God upstairs? You know, the truth is, there will come a day, and maybe some of us will still be here, just like in this day some of them had seen the old temple, where everything that we have done and renovated will need to be done again. Or maybe we as a church might be in a different facility and some other church will be here saying, look what these guys left us, can you believe it? We've got to raise money and we've got to do this. Buildings will come and go. People will actually, in some form, be forever. We'll live forever. You have never looked at a mere mortal. That's what C.S. Lewis said. You, whenever you see a person, you are looking at somebody who will live forever in one place or another. 
So everything done in the name of God for a person has a chance to live on. Everything physical, even this, even this temple that they were building, it, it actually passed away. God shook the heavens and the earth in a sense. It became beautiful. And do you remember in Matthew 24, Jesus is walking out of the temple and his disciples are talking to them and they're saying, Jesus, look at this. Look at these incredible buildings. And Jesus goes, yeah, do you, um, do you see all this? There won't be one stone left standing on top of another. It will all be destroyed. And I think it was, a, it was in a few decades after that, about three decades, Rome comes in, squashes a rebellion. They salt the olive grove. I mean, they strip that place down to the dirt. So what are we reading in Haggai? Was it all like a waste of time? What in the world is God talking about? The final glory of this house will be greater than the former. For a lot of years, Christians have seen here that God was talking about more than a physical building. He was looking through that. Just like whenever we do something out of obedience for God, we need to look through how it looks right now and see what God is working for in the hearts of people in the future. We need to trust him with those, with those outcomes. And so whenever he says here, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, in some ways it's obvious, okay, God is doing things and providing for this project that they're doing there and then. But in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews actually quotes the book of Haggai about a future occurrence, future from even today. It's in the process of happening. Hebrews chapter 12, his voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So what is happening here? God is sifting the world. I used to live in um, Pecos, Texas. If you ever feel like it's deserty around here, Pecos is like living on the surface of the sun. Sort of like Death Valley, but not quite as bad, I guess. And I have this memory from whenever I was a young kid. My dad had somehow cultivated a beautiful garden on Hackberry Street in Pecos, Texas. And I have this kind of fleeting memory of, of him sifting the, the soil, of things bouncing on this, um, on this little wire kind of fencing thing. And coming through, and I texted him this morning, I was trying to figure out, Dad, is that a real memory? And he said, yeah, I put a lot of work into that garden. And um, because, we, because I did you know, screen everything, it actually really flourished. It was, it was incredible. What am I getting at? A lot of what we go through in life is a, is a sifting process. Even the hard parts, Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. What God is doing in our lives live for him, our obedience, our trials, our sacrifice, 
He's shaping us into souls that can bear the weight of glory, of eternal glory. And everything you do for him will live on. So what's my simple message for you? Because believe it or not, we're almost done. My simple message for you and for me this morning is let's focus on what matters. Let's focus on what matters. Whenever these dads in this video were talking, they're doing the dad jokes, they're doing the thing. Whenever they say, I'm, I'm proud of you. So no lie, I watched this thing like three times so I could get my crying out so that, so that in here today we could just have church. Because the first time yesterday I saw that, I had tears rolling down my face. And then I watched it again and a, a few tears rolling down my face. I mean, it, there are certain things that carry so much more weight than everything else. The, the affirming voice of a father, the sacrificial love of a mother, whether or not you ever live in the nicest home, whether you can send your kids to the college of their dreams, that stuff doesn't matter near as much as your love, your devotion, and your protection. So let's focus on what matters, because the things we do that contribute to the heart, the soul, somebody's understanding of God, they will live on forever. That's what we've got to focus on and sacrifice for. Buildings, they come and go. They are worth our time and effort to the degree that they are devoted to God and that it's meant for his purposes. Do you remember Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool? And he says there was a farmer that had an absolute bumper crop. He had an incredible year. And he looked around and he said, look at this. Daddy's living good. He said, I've got so much stuff. What I'll do is I will build bigger barns. I'll store all that in it. And then I can just kick back and live the dream for years. Iced tea, feet up. It's going to be great. And what God said to him, he said, you fool, this very night, your life will be required of you and all of the things you have stored up for yourself, whose will they be? Dad, don't spend yourself living for a nicer and bigger house. Don't give your best and endless hours to a company that will live on long after you and probably will not remember you. Give your best to what really matters. Because what you do in the life of your children, in the life of your friends, for the glory of God, that will live forever. So when Jesus says this, he says, this is how it will be for those who live for themselves, but are not rich toward God. So let's live for and focus on what matters. The cool thing is, is those are the things that the people you love will remember. You'll remember. We were never in the nicest houses or anything growing up. The things that stir my heart are moments where my dad told me he was, told me he was proud of me. Like, I, I don't care if he leaves me any sort of inheritance. That will matter forever. So let's focus on what matters. As a church, let's focus on what matters. Why? Because everything will come and go. But this is where we're headed. Look in Revelation chapter 21. Just want to read you a few verses. This is the, the Apostle John 
being shown this vision of the end of all things. This is the future that we are headed for. If you've been in Dr. Bartell's class the last few weeks, this morning they finished with heaven. We have a great future. And this is what the Apostle John writes about heaven. Remember, this has all been revolving around restoring, building a temple. He said, in heaven, the city of God, I did not see a temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city, God, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. Its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light. That's the future that we are headed toward. And the only things that will count then is what we have done for God and for God's priorities now. Do you know what God's priorities are? People. You are God's priority. Your friends, your coworkers, your children, those are God's priorities. So my friends, let's focus on what matters. Amen? Amen.